بركة ونعمة ربنا يسوع المسيح تكون معكم في اسم الآب والابن والروح القدس. Nobody speaks Arabic in Oklahoma. Okay, I'll turn to English. Good morning. It's an honor to be with you. My name is Fikri. I am Egyptian. I was greeting you in my native language, uh, Arabic. I was born and raised in Cairo, Egypt. I'll tell you a little bit about my story before we start the training. Um, let me just tell the tech people in the back, if y'all can help me. If it's not going to work from here, you can take my laptop to the back and make it work from, from there. It's simple to just click on the keynote. Um, if you want to do that, if that works better for you, because we really need, we get some videos that will encourage you. It will, it will set the expectation of what God is doing around the world and how effective uh, this can be. You're probably receiving a set of notes like this. Um, okay, there's a, I'm just going to take it out there. Yeah. Okay, so just, you know. When it's a video, they have to click it till the video works. Like this okay. next one, for example, is a video. They have to click one more time, and it will work. Yeah, okay. Is that Beautiful. good? Yeah, that works. Thank you. All right. Technology, we've got to love it, right? <laughs> it has its, uh, it, it does help a lot, but it's always a challenge. All right, well, let me tell you a little bit about me so you get to know who's talking to you and why I'm so passionate about sharing the gospel. I was born and raised in Cairo, Egypt, a city of 28 million people. Um, English is actually my third or fourth language. I speak six languages. God has blessed me with the ability of learning languages. I have never studied English in my life. I went to England for three weeks summer vacation and came back speaking fluent English. Uh, so I took it as you know, an advantage to be able to travel the world. And I, I was going to work in tourism because I speak six languages. Uh, this is a great career is to work in tourism. So that was my dream uh, as I was growing up. Born in a Coptic family, if you ever heard about the Coptic church. The Coptic church is an ultra-conservative uh, old church. They claim that it had been started by the evangelist Mark, the author of the book of Mark. Uh, and it's a very, I mean, a lot of great theologian came out of it in the 2nd, 3rd, and 4th century. If you ever heard the name Athanasius, the guy that defended the faith that Jesus Christ is God from the Arian heresy in the 4th century that was my compadre. He was from Alexandria, Egypt. So uh, a lot of great things. Nevertheless, through the years, the Coptic church started becoming more of a dead religion. No much faith, no much life. When Islam conquered Egypt in 635 and imposed the language Arabic, the Coptic church remained with Coptic as their language. They didn't adopt Arabic because that was the language spoken in Egypt before Islam comes in. Nevertheless, the entire nation uh, started speaking only Arabic. And centuries later, nobody knew Coptic anymore except the Coptic church. Yet... They kept doing their mass or their service in Coptic. And it's a three and a half hour service. I think we have a little bit of echo if somebody can help me with the microphone. Thank you. So bottom line, I went to, do I just like this? Is that better? Okay, thank you. Uh, so bottom line, I would go to church every week uh, for three and a half hours to listen to a service in Coptic. And I don't understand the word of Coptic. 
Can you imagine how boring that was for a young man? I mean, I was 12, uh, but, but I've been going faithfully because my mom and dad said, you got to go. They would take me. But at the end of the day, I got bored with it. And at age 12, I decided to quit the church and to search for God on my own. Because the God that the church was giving me, didn't, I didn't understand him. He spoke a different language. I didn't care about that. And I started on a quest for God. I studied as many religion as possible. Now my, my name Fikri in Arabic means thinker. And I do honor my name. I love to think. So I studied Islam. I read the entire Quran and it didn't make any sense to me. There was too much conflict uh, between verses, too many aggression. Uh, it didn't seem like uh, a god. So I said, no, nah, that's not it. I studied Hinduism. It made less sense even. Buddhism. I read many of those. And at, at the end of the day, I came to my own conclusion that if there is so many options, they must all be untrue. They must all be a lie. And there's actually no God. That's our invention. Humanism was on the rise in the 80s in Egypt. And I adopted humanism as my philosophy of life and became a self-imposed atheist. There's no God. It's me. I got to make it happen in this world. The sad thing about that is instead of giving me peace or hope, it actually gave me a lot of fear because my mind started thinking, if I'm asleep and there's no God, there's nobody in control of the universe, technically I can die while I'm asleep and I'm not going to even find out that I died. It's pretty logical. <laughs> There's no God. It's pretty logical. So I spent weeks without sleeping trying to make sure that I don't die while I'm asleep. As you can imagine, that, that kind of internal strife went on and on for a long time till I get to my 15 years of age. And at that point, I was so desperate to know the truth. I literally looked at the ceiling of my apartment building in Cairo, Egypt, and I said, I don't believe you exist, but if you do, I give you 15 days to show up. If you show up, I'm going to believe in you. I'll follow you the rest of my life. If you don't show up, then I'm right. There's nobody in this universe but us, and life makes no sense. You know, I was 15 years old. I thought one day per year, it's kind of a good equation. So I gave God 15 days to show up. And to make a long story short, oh, good, we got it going on. To make a long story short, at day 15, at 6.30 in the afternoon, I heard a knock on my apartment. I went and opened the door. I'm an only child. There was nobody in the apartment. Went and opened the door. There was a young man there. And he looked at me and said, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 8.1, God sent me here to tell you that he has a plan for your life. You're going to preach his gospel all over the world. And he turned around and left. Now, you tell me what are the odds of this happening in a city of 28 million people. Pretty small odds. <laughs> but Egyptians, if you know or study a little bit about Egyptian culture, are known to be the most hard-headed people in the world. So instead of saying, okay, I looked at the ceiling. I said, I didn't tell you to send somebody. I said, you show up. Hard-headed Egyptian. <laughs> And at that moment, I heard loud and clear in perfect Arabic, Edbani, which means follow me. It was conclusive evidence for me. There was nobody around me. And I asked, instead of why, I just said, how? And I heard, read the Bible. See, I've discounted. I read all the other religion, but I discounted the Bible because I was raised in church. And I just thought, why even bother reading the Bible? <laughs> so when I heard that word, I opened the New Testament. And I started reading Matthew, Mark. Luke and John. It took me three months. 
I read them several times because I'm an analytical person. I didn't want to give an emotional response. And three months reading the story of Jesus, at the end of three months, I was convinced the gospel is the word of God. Jesus is the son of God. He died on the cross and he rose again. But following him is the most difficult thing in the world. So I don't want to do it. I believe, but I didn't want to do it. But one night, God, in God's mercy, April 3rd, 1989, I'm just meditating on that. And for some reason, I felt that I was the worst sinner in the world. I felt the power of guilt and pain. And look, I was 15 years old in Cairo. I never smoked, never went to a party, never drank, nothing. I mean, in Egypt, before 21, you're basically dead. You can't do anything. <laughs> but I felt so sinner. And at that moment, I got on my knees and I said, Jesus, I have no idea why you care so much about me, but here's my life. If you can do anything with it, I'll give it to you. Do whatever you want. When I stopped praying, it was 3.30 in the morning. I had been praying for four hours. <laughs> Never prayed in my life, not even 30 seconds, but that night when I was born again, my life was radically changed by the power of the gospel. I woke, woke up the next morning and as I said, I spoke several languages. I was working in the tourist market. Even at 15, I had a great job, made a lot of money. My job was to sell Egyptian antiquities to tourists. That was my job. And if you know anything about tourism, anybody that sells you something when you're a tourist, they're lying to you. I was the best in the market. I was a professional liar. I convince you, look, this, this papyrus, I took it out of Tutankhamun's dead body just to sell it to you. And it's for the discounted price of $100. And I bought it for a buck on the other end of the store. But I was good at it. So I go to my job and I try. I couldn't make a sale. It's not that I didn't try. I couldn't make a sale. I just couldn't lie. I went to my boss who is, uh, was an Egyptian general in the Egyptian army. And I told him, hey, I'm sorry. I'm going to have to quit. He said, you can't quit. You know, I can put you in jail. That's how things work in Egypt. Uh, I said, yeah, no, but... I'm no good to you. He said, why? You've been my best salesman for a long time. So, well, last night I met Jesus, and he doesn't like that thing about lying. And you know, without lying, I can't do a sale. And he said, you can't talk to me about Jesus. I'm Muslim. You know that you can go to jail for that. I said, yeah, but you asked me. <laughs> and the guy looked at me in the eye and said, there's something about you that's different. I'm going to let you go. God bless you. Pray for me. I prayed for him. And I left, and on my way home, I fell and broke my, clav is it clavicle? Is that what it's called? My clavicle. It was so painful. So here am I, one day born again, lost my job, broke my bones. I went to Jesus and said, Lord, that's not the deal. <laughs> but at that moment, once again, I heard the sweet voice of the Holy Spirit saying, I'm going to use you to preach this gospel all over the world. And even the doctor, I went to the doctor, of course. The doctor said you will never be able to lift anything heavy and it's going to be painful for the rest of your life. We cannot fix it, blah, blah, blah. I heard the Lord say, take the Band-Aid, throw it away, and start lifting heavy stuff. And I did that. Crazy 15-year-old. That's like, all right, I'll throw it away. And I started lifting 10 pounds, 20 pounds, 30 pounds. It never hurt. And for 30 years, it never hurt again. I'm 45 today. Never hurt again completely healed by the grace of God. And since then, sharing my story, I've been preaching this gospel for about 30 years now in over 38 countries by the grace of God.
Now, here's the reason why I share my story. It's not so you can think, oh, this is a great guy. The reason I share that is if God can choose a 15-year-old kid in a restricted country under the power of Islam, radically transform his life and take him to preach the gospel all over the world, how much more can he do with you in the United States of America? in the land of the free, in the home of the brave. How much more can he do with you here in this nation? If God can do that with me, he can certainly use you powerfully to change your culture, your city, your nation, and your world. And I want to challenge you from the get-going that God has a plan for your life. It always has been about sharing the gospel. Uh, if you can get the next, please. Uh, so this is my beautiful wife, Margot, and my only child, Amira, um, just wanted you to meet my family. My wife is a teacher. I'm the evangelist and pastor in the family. She's the teacher teacher, and we usually travel together and surf together, but this, uh, th this trip have been, because we're in two days, we're going to Bolivia, to South America for two months. I could not bring her, but hopefully in the next few days. And let me show you one of the things that we do in the next slide, please, that we do with Dr. Rice Brooks, um, the founder of it. I'll wake you up. So far, so good. Just a little bit of sleep. These are all non-Christians on a secular campus that never heard the gospel before. Basically, this little auditorium is full, and I want Greg, you just walk down the line and look at this crowd of people. They're waiting in line to come inside.
Praise God. Dr. Rice is the co-founder of Every Nation Ministries, and at Every Nation, we have a burden for the university students. We've seen our young people all over this nation and the world be picked up on and taken away from God and taught things that are not true. So we have it as a mission, me and him at least, we travel all over the world. We go to campus meetings like this. These were 2,000 students in three days, uh, and about 350 of them came back to say, we want to know more about Christ. That's the crowd I'm going to follow up with on Tuesday. That's why I'm going back to Bolivia. Uh, Bolivia is where I pastored for 18 years. So uh, Dr. Rice and I, we travel all over to go to the campus, and we preach what we're going to talk about today. We share the gospel in a relevant way to the young men and women of our nation and the world and call them out to their great destiny. Just came back a couple of weeks ago from doing the same, that same event. We just don't have the video yet in Iceland. Iceland has... Um, there was an article in the Washington Post that said 0.0% of Icelander believe in God. 0.0% of Icelander under the age of 25 believe in God. So we saw that and we said, we're going to Iceland. <laughs> and I can tell you that is not true anymore. There are now people that believe in Christ under the age of 25 that gave their life on camera to the Lord as we uh, shared the gospel there. Same thing is happening in different nations. We are doing that because we believe in two things. And that's the heart of the engaged training this morning. Number one, I believe with all my heart that the gospel is the only hope of the world. Nothing else is. It's the gospel. The solution for the shooting and the mass shooting and the terror attacks, and it's the gospel. It's not policy. It's not ideas. It's not governments. It's the gospel because the gospel attacks the problem at its root. The heart of the problem is the human heart. The problem of our society is not lack of resources. And let me tell you why. We spend over a trillion dollar on defense budget in the global economy. It costs only $150 billion. Only 150. That's 15% of our defense budget to feed and give water and sanitation for the entire planet. We can feed, and that, that, these are records of the food and water organization of the world. For 150 billion, we can feed, give water and sanitation to everybody on this planet. So it's not a problem of resources. We have all the resources to solve the problem of the world. It's a heart problem. It's the heart problem. That's why the gospel is the solution. That's why uh, my friend Rice just wrote, wrote this amazing book that I'm gonna talk about at the end of the session called The Human Right. We believe with all our heart that the human right is to hear the gospel. It's great to have all these other human rights that the convention came up with and the, the United Nations came up with. They're all good. But the most exclusive and important human right is the right to hear the gospel. People have the right to listen to the transforming mission of the gospel and make their decision. Whatever they decide, that's their responsibility. But they have the right to hear the gospel. So that's number one, the heart of this training is that the gospel is the hope of the world. The second thing is, it is our calling and our mandate from God to share the gospel. And I say that with all respect, but with all honesty. I wake up every morning convinced I've got to share the gospel today. Not because I want to, because I have to. 
my commander in chief, my master, my Lord said, go and make disciple of all the nation. Go and preach the gospel. He didn't say, think about it. He didn't say, let's take up a vote and make a de- organizational decision. He said, go. And when my boss say go, I have no option but to say, yes, sir. I'm going to learn as many languages as I can. I'm going to go to as many places as I can. And I'm going to share that gospel with as many people as I can because you said so. Whether they accept it or not, what they do with it, that's their responsibility. It's my obligation, not just a privilege to share the gospel. Now, if you ask me, I feel it's the biggest privilege of my life. I wouldn't change what I do for anything. With my language skills and experience, I could be working in the corporate world making a lot of money. I could care less about that. Because what I do have eternal repercussion. I've seen people give their life to Christ and change the course of their life forever. That's why we do what we do. I know I'm preaching to the choir. I know you already know that. And I, already, I know you're already inspired. But you give the microphone to a speaker, he's going to do that. <laughs> I want to I thank you today for taking time to come to listen to one more seminar or one more training on evangelism. wanted to start with the importance of the gospel and with the, the importance of the mandate of Christ, which I know all of us know. But it's always important to remember in the new... Uh, time that we live in in the world you know there's a lot of strategies and a lot of ways to plant churches and this and that all that is great but the heart of the matter is still the gospel and the mandate of Christ everything else can change but we cannot change the heart now here is one thing that I can say before I go into our notes and these, these are my own devotional notes about evangelism the gospel if you can th- if you want to think of the gospel the gospel for us is great But for the unbeliever, for the atheist, for the Muslim, for the Buddhist, the gospel does not sound great. The gospel sounds like a heavy loaded semi-truck. Because here's what the gospel says to unbelievers. Everything you know is wrong. You're going to hell. Sorry, I'm not cussing. It's in the Bible, the word hell. You're lost and you have no hope. And unless you accept what I'm saying... You have no hope. Now, to the ears of somebody that doesn't know, that's difficult. I mean, to me, it's great because I'm on the winning team. But he's not. So when he hears it or she hears it, they feel offended by it. That's why Paul said that the gospel is a stumbling block because it's offensive to people. So what do you do when you have a semi-truck extremely heavy and you want to cross it onto the other side of a river? I've had the privilege of preaching in Istanbul, Turkey many times. And Istanbul has the only bridge that unites two continents in the world. The bridge that unites Asia with Europe. And every time I go, I stand under that bridge. It's a mile-long bridge. It's not that long. But it unites two continents. And I look at how many semi-trucks cross from Asia to Europe and from Europe to Asia with goods. And I'm thinking, if it wasn't for that bridge, there was no way this commerce and this traffic could happen. If you want to share the gospel, you've got to build the bridge between you and these other people. Because they're on the other side. They don't get anything of what we're saying. They're there. We're here. We've got to build a bridge with them. How do we build a bridge? Any bridge has three parts. 
the departing part, the middle part, and the landing part. Bottom line. I'm, I'm, I'm going very fast and easy here. So here is my simple technique of building a bridge with somebody I don't know at all to preach the gospel to them. Number one, pray. No effective evangelism ever happened without prayer. Now, here's how I pray. I pray three things. Number one, I pray, Lord, I'm going to preach the gospel regardless. Please put beside me somebody that is ready to hear because I cannot control that. I can't control the heart of people. I don't know who's ready or not. I can promise you that when I sit in an airplane, I'm going to share the gospel. Now, I didn't do it last night with the friend that arrived at the airport because I was asleep. I mean, I had four-hour delay, and thank God he was a Christian, so we didn't lose anything. Usually, <laughs> when I sit on an airplane, I wait till I start doing this, and that's when I share the gospel because they're already scared. I don't, unless the plane does that, I don't care. This is just bumps in the air. So I pray, Lord, put in my way somebody that needs to hear the gospel. That's my prayer. Number two, I pray, Lord, help me. I never take it for granted. I've been sharing the gospel 30 years now. I never take it for granted. I never take it as a technique. Everything we're going to learn today is highly important, but the grace of God is irreplaceable. I never think, oh, I'm a master at that. Heck no, I need Jesus to show up. I need the Holy Spirit to be with me. So I pray for the person God put in my way. I, I love coffee. So one of my favorite places to share the gospel is at coffee shops, whatever, which one, whatever you want, Starbucks, whichever. I go, I look around, and I find the most depressed person. There's always somebody. And I approach them, always a male. I approach the person, and I offer them a cup of coffee. Can I buy your coffee? Nobody at the coffee shop says no to coffee. Nobody. <laughs> and out of gratefulness, when I bring the coffee, I say, can I sit beside you? They never say no. I just bought their coffee. $2 or $3 cup of coffee, and I sit by their side, and I start the conversation what we're going to talk about and share the gospel with them. So I pray, Lord, I'm going to go to Starbucks anyway. I'm going to go to the coffee shop anyway. Just bring the person that's ready because I cannot make people ready. You can. I pray for myself. Holy Spirit, help me to be an effective witness of Christ. And finally, I pray and this is one thing I'm going to ask you at the end of this seminar. I pray for other preachers. I pray for other missionaries. Lord, help them as they go and preach. Lord, help them. So if you forget everything I said today, at least remember that. Pray for me as I go and preach. <laughs> that's prayer. So that's the first part of the bridge. Before I even start doing anything, I pray every day. Lord, put the right people in my way. Help me to preach the gospel. Help others that are preaching the gospel. The second part of the bridge is do. What do I mean by do? What I mean by do is live the gospel. Our culture is desperate for authentic people. Our culture is desperate for real Christian to live their faith. And I, I try to give people very practical things to open the door for the gospel. If you're standing in line in the bank, bank line to cash a check or make a deposit, and somebody behind you is seems desperate give you your turn hey sir you look more in a hurry than me take take my turn and people usually look at me and says where are you from and that's an opportunity to share the gospel over tip your waiter or waitress they usually come back saying that's very generous of you thank you it's a very cheap investment to preach the gospel 
Very inexpensive way. Over tip people, it will open a, a conversation. I did that a couple of years ago on Miami Beach where I was planting a church and my, my church uh, gave us a gift card to a sushi place to my wife and I on our anniversary. We went to have sushi and as we're sitting, the young man that was serving us, I noticed that he had a Portuguese accent and I speak Portuguese. So I started talking a little bit with him and when the check came, I left him a generous tip and he came back and said, why you did that? I said, thank you for asking. Sit down. And I shared the gospel with him. And that night, he, in Miami Beach, the sin city of America, he got on his knees, received Jesus as Lord. In two weeks, I baptized him in water in Miami Beach. And uh, later, I found out that he was an MMA champion, martial arts champion. I didn't know that. Uh, and he keeps sending me his pictures of the championship that he's warning and how he's sharing the gospel after he wins every turn. Look. At the end of the day, the gospel is not just prayer. We've got to pray, but we've got to do. We've got to get out and do something. Now, here's my recommendation to you all. What I, think, what I, what I shared are my practices. What do you like to do? You don't have to go to the beach. What do you like to do? I guarantee you there's a lot of lost people wherever you go and whatever you do. If you like to eat... Pretty sure 90% need the gospel. The people there need the gospel. What, what is it that, that you like to do? What is the thing that you do the most? You're going to find people that need Jesus there. And start doing something. Find a way to do something for them that would allow them to say, this guy or this lady is different. Can I talk to you? On airplanes, I offer my meal to the person beside because they're really tiny food and people are always more hungry. Hey, would you like to have this? I'm not hungry. And they, are you sure? Yeah, absolutely. And that gives me the way to start the conversation because otherwise, if I just out of the blue look at them and say, do you know Jesus as your Lord? They're going to get mad at me. That doesn't work anymore. I've got to find a way to start the conversation in a kind way with them. That's doing. So we build the bridge with the lost, number one, by praying. Number two, by doing. Do something for them. I have found out that when you do something kind for somebody, they're way more receptive. By the grace of God, because of who I am, I reach a lot of internationals. You know how? I invite them to my house to eat. When I meet somebody at the gym that is from another nation, it's like, have you ever had an Egyptian meal? No. Come to my house. I'll, 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 and I cook the best meal. I love to cook. If I wasn't a preacher, I would be a cook. I, best, I cook the meal myself, and we sit down, and they eat, and I, I, I never cook like burgers. I cook like a real from-scratch meal, like a lot of food, and they're eating, and I found out that nobody stands up and leave while they're eating. They just stay and eat, and you know, when they're eating, they're busy eating, so their ears are more open, and that's when I share my story with them. I've got, I, they're in my home. We're feeding them. And it's a great opportunity to share the gospel with them. I'm trying to be practical. Again, you don't need to do what I do. But what do you like to do? Maybe you like to bake. Maybe you like to walk. Maybe you like to do cross country. I don't do cross country, obviously. Uh, what is it that you like to do? Whatever it is, there are lost people there. And if you do something nice for them, they'll be open to the gospel. Why? Because the gospel is the hope of the world. And because Jesus mandated me to do it.
finally share. That's, that word is what we're going to talk about for the rest of the nine hours that we have. No, it's not nine hours. Uh, share. Share the gospel. Now, how do I share the gospel in today's culture? I was um, raised and discipled and mentored in a Pentecostal church. We used to stand in the corners of the street and preach the gospel 30 years ago, and people would come to Christ. It's not working that much anymore. It's not working. I mean, I've, I've tried it. It's just not, not working. How do I do it in today's culture? The gospel is still the same. The mandate is still the same. We just need to adjust the method. That's all we need to do. That's what we're going to try to cover in the next couple of hours here about how to share the gospel. Let me give you just some fast statistics that will help you to understand how important this is. Can you all help me with the PowerPoint, please, or the keynote? Okay, let's just keep moving. And you have that in your notes. So 80% of churches in North America, please keep moving, are plateaued or in decline. 80%. These are research. Dr. Rice, that was his research for his doctoral degree at Fuller Theological Seminary. 80% uh, of churches are plateaued or in decline. 97% grow by transfer. In other words, somebody gets mad at the pastor of this church and moves to that other church and then moves to that other church. 97% churches that are growing grow by migration of members from one church to the other. Now, how many of you know that that's not real growth? We're not changing the world. I mean, if my believers go to your church instead of coming to my church, that just transfer. But we haven't added one unbeliever. Only 3% are growing by evangelism. That scares me. And that's in North America. I'm not talking about Europe. I'm not talking about the tough place. That's in North America. That's in the United States of America. Only 3% of churches are growing through evangelism. Now, maybe all of your churches here are part of the 3%, and I rejoice with that. But the statistic in the nation is that only 3% are growing through evangelism. Why? Why only 3%? Uh, if we can keep moving, please, to the next slide. Lack of certainty about the mission. In other words, a lot of Christians are not certain what are we called to do. That's why I started with my small, tiny devotional. Now, you and I are certain that the gospel is the hope of the world and that Christ mandated us to share it. Uh, can I get an amen to that? Okay. But 97% of Christians are not sure of that. A lot of people that come, especially young people that come to your church. Look, I was amazed to find that out, but I've researched it personally. A lot of young Christians today think that the gospel is one of the good options. A lot of them. And I was like, are you serious? You come to church and this is what you believe? Yeah. I mean, it's not bad. Pastor, the gospel is great. It's just, there's no way God is going to send to hell or to eternal damnation Muslims and Buddhists. I mean, they're doing their best. Wait a minute. When did it become by doing their best and not by the grace of God in Christ Jesus? So people are not certain about the mission. They're not convinced. It's our job to convince. Number two, lack of certainty or, or uh, understanding, clarity about the gospel. 
Many Christians today do not know what the gospel is. We're going to talk about the gospel. I know you know it. I know I'm preaching to the choir. But there's a lot of Christians that don't understand the term gospel. Oh, yeah, it's the good news. But what is the good news? If I ask a, a common Christian, a common churchgoer, faithful man, define the gospel to me, define the good news, they hesitate in the response. They don't have it clear that the gospel is that God became man in Christ and lived the life we should have lived and died the death that we should have died and rose on the third day proving that he's the son of God and offering free salvation for all those who believe. They don't have that clarity. You and I have it, but most Christians don't. We need to help people to get the clarity. What is the gospel? What do we mean by gospel? Number three... Why 3%? Because of lack of identifying the evangelists. Many years ago, evangelism was popular. For the last couple of decades, things have changed in our culture. And many times, even the term evangelist uh, have become, in a sense, something negative. But may I call your attention to Ephesians chapter 4? And look, if, if, if... most of people here are pastors and church leaders. I pastored for 18 years in Bolivia. I planted churches. I've been a senior pastor most of my adult life. But all these years, I've always known that I'm also an evangelist. So being a pastor and being an evangelist are not, they're complementary. They're things that help each other. We need both in the body of Christ. And Ephesians chapter 4 says, He established some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers. These are not cool titles. These are functions in the body of Christ. I don't care what you call me. But if you give me an opportunity, I'm going to share the gospel. And if I see a hurting Christian, I'm going to sit with him and help him heal his wounds. I don't care if you call me pastor or not. It's just a gift from God. I don't care if you call me evangelist or not. I'm going to share the gospel. So these are not cool titles. They were not meant to exalt some people. No, these are qualities that come from the Holy Spirit to enable the body of Christ to fulfill the mission of Christ. It's about Him. It's about Him. May the Lord help us to turn the needle in North America. I I travel a lot in Europe, guys. I travel way too much in Europe, and it breaks my heart. Just came back from Germany uh, uh, two months ago exactly. And man, the land of Reformation, the land of Martin Luther, the land of all the great theologians, dead. I mean, dead. You talk to people, and they believe in all kind of, with all due respect, crazy stuff. But they can't accept the gospel. They'd rather believe that aliens started things on this world than to believe that God created the world. It's amazing. I don't want to see that in North America. Amen. I don't want to see that in, in this nation. God brought me here. And, and by the way, I didn't share that at the beginning. Um, please forgive me if I talk a lot about my testimony. Here's the reason I share my story. I feel like I have the copyright on my story. Nobody can sue me for sharing my story. <laughs> That's my story. When we moved here 11 years ago, we moved by a mandate from the Lord. We were pastoring a great church in Bolivia. Our life was easy. We had people to work with us. It was awesome. But the Lord spoke to my wife and I said, go to North America. They need missionaries there. And I was like, Lord, this is the mission sending nation of the world. It's like, yeah, it was. Now they need missionaries. You go. Said, okay. That's why I came. That's why I'm here. It wasn't chasing the American dream. It was obeying the mandate of Christ to preach the gospel in this nation. God is still on 
the job of saving people. And he has chosen us. I mean, if you're here on a Thursday morning in a conference like this, listening to that, is because God has stirred something in your heart. Amen? Amen. Can we stop here for a second and just pray before I go into the next session? And, and here's my respectful, respectful recommendation to all of us. Number one, just thank God for the gospel. We know it. Number two, just ask the Lord, Lord, how can I do it better? How can I do it better? Lord, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the gospel that is the hope of the world. Thank you, Lord, that without you, none of that would be possible. Thank you, Jesus, that you are the Savior of the world. Thank you that you chose us. You empowered us. You've put us on this mission of sharing your gospel. Now, Lord, here am I, Fikri Yusuf, on May 31st, 2018, saying, Lord, help me to do this better. Help me to share my faith better with unbelievers. Thank you, God, for every training, for every wisdom. But help us, Holy Spirit. Help us to share the gospel boldly with unbelievers. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.